Let's pray. Father, help me and help us. Let's take some time, Lord, and give us grace to unpack this peculiar passage of Scripture in John. I know we've dwelt now for a month on Easter, both morning and evening. Help us dwell one Sunday morning more and see the amazing proclamation your son makes to his followers, both then and now. Help me as I try to deliver truth, and may it be done with grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Had a break last week. Thank you for being here. Those of you who were here last week for Mission Sunday, Pastor Greg Sneller was awesome, and he's got lots of connections. Thank you for giving. And our mission team is thinking and praying. We'll give more information to you as we seek the Lord and how to do mission here but mission afar too, so you'll hear more on that. John 20, verse 19. We've been on Easter for five weeks now. We went through Holy Week, we hung out on Easter morning, and then a couple weeks ago we went to Luke 24, and Easter evening, and the road to Emmaus, and Jesus was sneaky Jesus, remember? He was disguised, and he began to unpack and unfold the entire Old Testament for his disciples. And then they said, our hearts burned within when he started to tell us about him in the Old Testament. And then he broke bread symbolically and he was gone, but the bread remained. Now, same evening we think, I don't know the exact chronology, so don't pin me down on it, But look at this, what John writes. On the evening of that day, that's resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, specifically the Judeans. They were zealots, and they were amongst those who were in charge of getting the mob stirred up so Jesus, from a religious standpoint, could be accused of blasphemy. That's from the Jewish standpoint why he went to the cross. Then they went under the Roman governor to get him to say, I don't really know, but insurrection or treason was the capital crime. And that's why he went to the cross, okay? So the disciples are locked in a room, and they're scared because their leader went to the cross. What usually happens to the followers? Not much different, okay? Jesus came and stood among them and said what? Peace be with you. Anybody ever seen the movie Panic Room? It's like 12 years old with Jodie Foster. Anybody know what panic rooms are? Usually people with, we'll say, lots of wealth and prestige, maybe in foreign lands where it's not as safe per se. I know America has its issues. On an estate, a diplomat or someone of great wealth will be staying somewhere with a panic room. So if people hop the gates, they will go to usually a fortified room where they could be alive from one week to two weeks and no one can get in. It's smart though, right? And there's weapons and other things and the thing, communication and there's phone lines that can't be cut and there's internet that can't go down and all those things, except for the electricity, there's a generator, all that fun stuff. The disciples on this night had made a panic room in and around Jerusalem. Fear and angst was in the air And they were hiding out, and Jesus, the resurrected Christ, shows up and says what? Peace be with you. And those couple words shatters all the fears and all the anxieties that they had. Next verse, go ahead, Nancy. 
When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Look at the next verse, 21. Jesus said to them again, if you didn't hear it, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That sounds a lot like every other gospel. That is John's version of the Great Commission. Where's the most famous Great Commission? Matthew 28. Jesus saying what? I'm sending you out. They're like, Lord, we're in the panic room, and it's all good that you're here, but what are you thinking? Next verse. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Amazing. What Jesus is saying is, when you go, I am going with you. I'm going with you. Who is the Holy Spirit? According to the scriptures, he's the spirit of advocacy. He is the helper. He is not the spirit of fear or shame or accusation, but he is there to advocate and to help. That's who is going with them. That's what Christ has done for us. And the next verse, I've never really heard a sermon really preached about it because it's one of those, you ever read the Bible, even those who study the Bible and go, Okay, I got most of the story, but I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> That's, I, I don't know. Next verse, here we go. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. How many people want to tackle that? Well, I'm going to do it, so I'm a fool, I guess, because I think it's pertinent. You ever read that and go, wait a minute, I know I've been taught, well, Jesus on the cross, his blood shed, God's forgiveness to all who receive and believe. And we go, yeah, that's the gospel in its theological application and different things. But Jesus says to the 11, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven as he's sending them out. Just as Matthew says, all gospels have it, you can look it up later, go and teach and baptize and disciple and do all these things. In the same sending, Jesus says in John, to this 11, Judas has done his business and hanged himself. I'm sending you out, and my main mission in sending you out is what? Forgiveness. That's what John's communicating to us. The, the thing that girds this whole gospel movement together as they are being sent out in John is forgiveness. And Jesus even goes as far to say is, if forgiveness is withheld, what are you going to say about that is what he literally says. So let's get into it a little more. That's where we're going today. We're going to look at those few verses for a few moments. We're going to wrap it up, and hopefully there's an application to moms, yes, all of us, yes, where we can see the heart of this commissioning in John. Jesus has done the impossible. He has made peace possible. He has made peace possible between God and man by dying on the cross, and now he is imploring his followers to go make peace in a dark and scary world. And they are, as I said, in their panic room and imagine what is going through their minds. Jesus is very kind and gracious, but he is literally going, why are you guys locked in a room? <laughs> Didn't you listen for three years? I am with you. Didn't you see the great things I have done? I walked on water. You thought I was a ghost. I was sleeping in the boat when the storms raged. 
I woke up and said, stop. And what did the wind do? Stop. I went to a dead man's tomb three days later and said, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? Bloop, bloop. And then I said, why is he still in these clothes? These are for dead men. Take the clothes off. He is alive. I healed the servants. I, hear, I healed an officer's servant from around the bend a couple miles away. And you all know about it. So Jesus shows up and goes, why are you cowering and panicking? We know why, because they're human beings. And in grace, he's probably kind of having a little joke and a jab with them. But he says, you are not to cower and hide. You are to go. I am going with you, the spirit himself, the spirit of advocacy, the helper. And you are to go preach the forgiveness of God to the ends of the earth, the gospel. And there start to think and go, okay, what's the history of that, you and me, the church? This is the mandate that was given to these men and women, and they went and built God's kingdom and are still doing it. This is an amazing passage. We already hit that, so let's get back down here. As the Holy Spirit himself was breathed upon them, and the Holy Spirit indwells all who believe, he is the spirit of advocacy. He is the helper in our times of need, which is all the time. I look around at America and American church, not our church, not their church, just church. It's easy to do that, make broad generalizations. You kind of, nothing sticks on the wall. I kind of see the opposite happening culturally with our Christian, Christianity in America, especially in the light of the last four years, especially politically, especially with all the information at our fingertips. I think we, maybe for self-preservation, have lost the passion at times of this commissioning to go out and we try and gather everyone we love and come to church or church circles and lock the doors and form our own type of holy panic room. And we say, Russ, is the door locked? Because the world's really bad out there. And parts of the world are really bad. And John and James are clear, little children, obey the Lord's commandments and remain unstained from the world. We get that. But I think sometimes, because of fear, we tend to do, and me being a leader, I'll own it, do the exact opposite of what Jesus is commissioning his followers. Now, there's a couple caveats for you who know the Bible and like to be snarky. These were the disciples. They were in a different age and a different power and a different dispensation and some, some things. Okay, okay, we could talk about that. And some of us are still hung up on the fact that if forgiveness of sin, I'll get there, because I can hang us up too. But don't miss the picture of what the Lord has said to these 11 men. Go to Jerusalem, a hostile place right now, and go to the ends of the earth, and your message is the forgiveness of sin is offered. Do you receive it? And that's amazing. Who are the cousins of fear? Maybe in your own mind. In the family tree of fear, what is in that family tree? For you, for me, 
depression sometimes, anxiety, confusion, rage, angst. No doubt these were all a part of that room before Jesus showed up. And when I look across our landscape as believers in Western culture, sometimes I see that. I see all those things that fear tends to breed. When these gentlemen had in the earthly realm the right to be afraid, Jesus shows up and twice says, peace be with you, and then commissions them and breathes on them and reminds them the spirit of advocacy, the helper will be with them as they go to the ends of the earth. Back to verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Whew! I did a little word study, because sometimes we can, get away, we can get around certain things, and not that people try and do that, but that's pretty much what it means. And I don't like that. <laughs> it means if Jessica goes out and proclaims forgiveness from God to people, I want to see repentance and faith. I get all that. It is granted. Again, not many sermons preached on that. Why? Mostly because us who teach the Bible rightly don't want to speak for God. Amen? I don't want to speak for God. That's a dangerous place. But in my own heart, and go with me to your heart real quick, my reservation sometimes is not that I don't want to speak for God, I'm afraid that someone might get forgiveness who doesn't deserve it. Let's be real in church. So I get the theological struggle and can ask questions and talk to smarter people and read smarter people. We do that. But in this commissioning to the 11, Jesus said, go and do this. But in my heart, I go, man, I know God is loving and kind and just and forgiving and righteous and there's all these things, but they don't deserve his love or forgiveness. Who deserves, God love, who deserves God's love and forgiveness? It's a real simple answer. I know Vin, so I can say this. Vin is one of the best men I know. He doesn't deserve God's love and forgiveness. He says amen. That's why. That's the main reason. If he doesn't, I know I don't, and she says, amen, because she lives with me. <laughs> but the point is, that is dangerous to think that way. None of us deserves God's love and forgiveness, yet he freely offered to all who would come and believe. This is like the parable of the servant who owed much to the king, remember? <laughs> And the king goes, you owe me a lot, but I'm good and I'm kind. It's all good. Go and be a peaceable citizen. And the servant finds someone else who owes him like 25 bucks and hauls him and throws him into jail. And the king goes, finds word and goes, what the heck did he just do? Bring him here. And he is cast out. Jesus says to his disciples, you have received freely Go then and what? Give freely. Sometimes in our 
academic, we're all educated to a pretty good degree according to the global standards, especially biblically. Sometimes in our academic pursuit and wanting to see things right, we start to put people in little camps, mainly based on who we think might or get or shouldn't get God's forgiveness. Jesus says, don't do that. Go and forgive. This is a hard one, folks. Sorry, moms. I, I was thinking and praying, but moms probably, again, another generalization that can't be proven, great for pastors, wonderful. Moms probably have to deal per hour in the duty of forgiveness more than anybody else on the planet, right? I'm going to make a generalization. I grew up with a mom. I knew how I was. You were right about everything. I apologize. I'm 42 now. And that, that's fun stuff. Mark Twain was right. It's amazing how smart they got between my 17th and 21st birthday. That's his quote, right? But moms and people, all of us, we are placed in a world where we can be a dam and withhold forgiveness or we can be a river of God's forgiveness every day of our lives. I'm gonna tell you, it's easier on the outset to be a dam, to block up all the goodness God's given you and hold it in and say, mine, and then turn your reservoir into a panic reservoir. But in obedience and love to our Father who's given to us, he's asked us to be a channel, a river of forgiveness, especially you moms. You tend to spend the most time with your children. Sometimes dads do. But I wasn't joking when I talked to them. Forgiveness must be the foundation of our Christian life because it is the foundation of your relationship with God, what he's done in Christ to forgive you. Therefore, he said, go and be like me. Don't trip and go, I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omniscient. I'm not everywhere. I'm not holy. Amen. But the Father's business, as we learned in the Sermon on the Mount, is founded on forgiveness. The end of the Lord's prayer, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. Forgive our trespasses just as we forgive others. Matthew goes on, is it Matthew 6, 14? I want to quote it right. You got it, Nancy? Now I'm going off the top of my head. She's, she's like, I hate it when he does that. Jesus' words, not mine. And again, theologically, that's a tough one because we know God alone forgives, and that's true. I want to make something real clear. If you go and forgive, if you go and withhold forgiveness, Jesus is not saying to his disciples, like the Aladdin genie, it is all good in the heavens. We know from the parables and from the gospel teachings that men and women have to come to the end of themselves, Luke 15, come to their senses, turn away from where they're living, and return to God, and he pardons all of our sins. But in ministry, as the disciples are being sent out, Jesus says to them, this is the foundation of this commission. Go and forgive as much as you've been forgiven. How much have you been forgiven? 
How much have I been forgiven? My mom and other people in this room who've known me a long time have forgiven so much. And Jesus simply says, you too, Dave, you too, church, go be about the Father's business. We'll try and close with the crazy prophet to see if we can get somewhere and end this thing. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel is an interesting cat if you've read anything about him. He had some visions, he had some utterings, he saw some things, but I just want to bring forth this, Ezekiel 47.1, we're going to read a good bit, I'll read it and we'll kind of just go through it. Speaking of a vision, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end and the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Next verse. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside in the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. Ezekiel is having this vision of this temple, different than what was when he was alive. And one of these visions was Toward the east, metaphorically, man moved away, way back when in the garden, and toward that, toward sin and rebellion, water was flowing. Began to trickle. And then you'll see about the flow. Go ahead. Next verse. Going on eastward with the measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. I was in South Sudan four years ago. It was the hottest driest, most arid place I've ever been in my life. When I got to Uganda and had a shower, it was, is, it was as if heaven opened wide. So it's ankle deep. Okay, next verse. Verse four. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was way steep. So out of this temple, this vision that Ezekiel is receiving is the water is starting to come up. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Verse 5. Again, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. Okay, you can go there. Verse 6. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. So this vision... Is starting with a trickle, and all of a sudden, like Yosemite was last month with our youth, a raging river. And if you get caught in a raging river, you have to be led back to the bank, and that's what happens. Verse 7, here we go. As I went back, I saw the bank of the river with very many trees on the one side and on the other. That's amazing. Next verse. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything we will, will live where the river goes. And last one, fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Mgedi to Engalam, it will be as a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be very many, of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Not to do a lot of geography, but in Ezekiel's vision, we'll close. How many of you have seen pictures of the Dead Sea? Why is it called the Dead Sea? Because <laughs> nothing grows there. <laughs> the saline content and other contents, it's dead. And around it is extremely arid. 
Not much is growing. No trees. The vision Ezekiel receives about this new temple, according to John, who is the new temple? Will it be built by stone with hands? No. Jesus says to the Pharisees when they say, what authority do you have for destroying this temple like this, clearing the tables? He says, I have this authority. Destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. So what we know from John is the new temple, the temple that was bought on Calvary and raised on the third day is the body of Jesus Christ. And Ezekiel, 700 years before, sees a vision of what that temple will be like. It will be like water flowing to arid lands. So the connection I'm making, moms and humans and people in America, upon John's great commission that he records, Jesus says, forgiveness is what flows out of me. Go and do it. Oh! The water that flows from this great vision has been and will always be, always be the pardon of God, the forgiveness and mercy of God. We don't have time, but at the end of verse 12, go look it up, Ezekiel 47, verse 12 Trees will grow, they will bear fruit, not every season, but every month, and their fruit will be for the healing of the nations. How many nations need to be healed right now? All of them. How many people need to be healed right now? All of us in some ways. But what John is showing us and what we've seen prophesied about is this new temple, the risen Christ, has said, go and be about forgiveness. Don't worry about the transaction. Don't worry who's in, who's out. Don't worry about the things that we worry about. Go and do this. But Dave, you missed the second part of the verse about what if forgiveness is withheld. I didn't. Who's forgiveness withheld from? That's my question. <laughs> you pray about it and we'll pray about it. Jesus simply says in John if you withhold forgiveness, forgiveness is withheld. He does Jesus. He makes us think. Because over and over in the scriptures, he commands us, Nancy, if you withhold forgiveness, the Father will look upon that and do business. I'll just say it that way. Nancy's great. I just put her out because she's one of my best friends here, right? But don't go there. See this vision in Ezekiel. See this new temple. See the risen Christ. See the flowing water. And I'll, I'll, I will truly end with this because I have three minutes. Moms, you can, I live with one, so I'll speak to you. You can say whatever you want and you say great things. But if we don't practice a life of forgiveness, she is too smart to go, mom and dad talk a good game. But why don't they talk to half of our family? And then the sister goes, I heard it was something like 26 years ago. And I'll pick a random place. In Zimbabwe. Yeah, what happened in Zimbabwe? Well, um, somebody did this, this, and this, and, and yeah. Yeah, I see that too. They don't really talk. I'll say that to his dad in, what, four weeks? Father's Day's coming, man. He'll be empty in this church, right? But what I'm getting at, moms, people, all of us, let's be marked like Jesus wanted his disciples to be marked by going forward, going out, getting out of our panic rooms, not consumed by fear and anxiety, but realizing the advocate is with us. The Holy Spirit himself, the helper, parakletos in some ways, right? The helper is with us.
and we go and say, I'm going to be marked by the pardon of God because I've been pardoned. I'm going to show forgiveness. I was talking to one saint this week, and they said, yeah, but we get taken advantage of. And I said, yes, we do sometimes. But Jesus Christ himself was taken advantage of multiple times from my account. And then I get to share in that glory when, under the guidelines of pardon, mercy, and forgiveness, I get taken advantage of. Okay. Who's still with me when I get taken advantage of? The helper. The advocate. Not the one who brings shame and accusation. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Moms, we love you. Those who have taken on moms' roles, both men and female, we love you. Church, we love you. Let's be people who hear this commission, who know we can unlock the panic room doors of our heart and even our church and go, not in arrogance, but go in confidence and say, my God's about forgiveness. This is how he's made the way. Let's dialogue about this. Why don't you stand if you can? We will be done. I'll pray. When my throat gets that dry, I talked enough. Let me get a little water. There's fellowship across the way with a little bit of food. Any of the ladies in the room, if you didn't get a little uh, gift, we have one for you. And let's pray. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this account uh, written many years ago about uh, the first Easter evening. And thank you that uh, your son showed up, the word of God himself appeared into a frightened, scared um, Bible study, per se, Lord. And he, in grace and mercy, said, peace and go and be about the Father's business. Impact our hearts, impact our minds. Let us be about your business. Let us see this vision you gave your servant many years ago as forgiveness, healing, water to a dry souls. I do thank you for the mothers in the room. Bless and keep them. Guard them. Give them wisdom and grace and long-suffering. And may they be the first agents of forgiveness their children meet. In Jesus' name, amen.